Welcome, welcome, welcome to Mass Way and the first Sunday of Lent. We are glad that you're here to help us start this season of reflection and repentance and penitence and reordering our lives towards God and each other. And we're going to kick off as we did last week with, or often every week, with a reading. And we've sort of blended this opening piece with our community liturgy, which, as you know, if you've been here a while, changes each season um, with, with the liturgical season. And so this will be the first week um, of a sort of liturgical piece we often do in Lent with our kids. Um, this sort of penitent, reflective, um, back and forth. And do you guys have this? I don't know if you do. But they know, you guys know the Lord have mercy response, right? So I think what we're going to do, I'll just read, I'll read the, uh, the other portion and then we'll all do the response. Is that the idea? Okay. So, Lent has arrived, the time for reflecting, the season of repentance, Lord, have mercy. As we enter into this thin time, we pray, O God, help us to turn back, to let go, to move forward, to hold loosely, to take up, to speak out, each in its own time, each in its own place. Lord, have mercy. Help us to hear, help us to see, help us to know each in its own time, each in its own place. Lord, have mercy. For 40 days and 40 nights, help us also to live into the promise of life, a full and fabulous life. Lord, have mercy. The season of repentance is upon us. Lord, have mercy. Thank you, everybody and kids, and I'll send you guys off to your pursuits. Welcome again. My name is Ben. I'm on staff here with Mark and Elizabeth and, and Molly and Tim, though I'm not sure Tim's going to appear tonight. But still, we do this together every week with all of you, and we're glad you're gathered here with us to do that, to reflect together on text and, and really sort of focus in this week on, on the Lenten season. As we did all throughout Epiphany, we're sort of still trying to orient our conversation each week around a particular question. And I think for Lent, we thought we'd sit in a couple of different questions um, that, that we sort of persistently return to. And so this, this week, we're asking, how does this theme of repentance that we're taking on for Lent, and Molly will frame more closely tonight, how does repentance reframe our imagination? How does it make us think differently about the world? And, and thinking of that as, as what is it turning us towards and what is it turning us away from? And that's a move we want to think together carefully and listen to each other's perspective on um, through this Lenten season. So that's something we're going to be doing. Also through the week, we still have these kind of Lenten calendars that Molly's nicely put together. And each week during Lent, we scheduled some sort of time that's hosted by someone in our community. I think most, uh, very few, or if any of these people are on staff, these are just folks in our community who have a particular interest um, that they've sort of put together a reflective event around. We've got a family hike happening, and I think that's the one for this week, right? And on thir- Saturday at 10. Um, and yeah, there's, there's at least one each week throughout the rest of Lent. So you can grab a calendar over there. Our information's on the website as well. Really invite you to do that. We had a really, I thought, a really great conversation around 
Leonard Cohen's most recent album this past Friday, and that was it was one of the best ones we've had, and I think it has me thinking continually still since then very differently about Lent and and yeah how to how to process that. So yeah, encourage you to f- take advantage of that. Yes, and Molly's reminded me that we have an ecclesia meeting tonight, which means. For us, that's just a time, usually every three months or so, roughly quarterly, we take some time uh, as a community to get together and talk about what's going on, what things that might be behind the scenes, bring them forward, you know, conversate together about what our community is going. It's, it's a business, business is done at this meeting, but it is not really a business meeting. So, um, so that means we just end a little early, around 6, instead of 6.30. Um, we'll bring in some food um, so you'll have dinner here if you'd like to stay. You're welcome to stay for dinner and leave or stay for dinner in Ecclesia. Um, and then we sort of go hard from 6.15 to 7.15 and hopefully have you home and fed in about the same time frame. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Other than that, I think I'll, yeah, Mark and Chessa have some songs of preparation for us. So, yeah, our, our looking at sort of our theme for Lent uh, from, from now through Easter uh, being one of repentance. Uh, it's, it, repentance is such a loaded word for me, having grown up in the South in church. Um, I wanted to think, uh, Molly's crafted a wonderful homiletic uh, time tonight and, and reading through what she had written uh, yesterday when I was reading through it, it it was inspiring to me because it really made me reframe my idea of what repentance might look like. Um, not that repentance is not a turning from turning away from things we have done, but it's turning towards something. Uh, it's turning towards life. It's turning toward uh, maybe even what God may be doing uh, in the world now. How do we orient ourselves uh, to the present, and how do we orient ourselves to the future? This song, Thank You, uh, that I really love by Alanis Morissette, is a song that I think does a really good job of, of talking about acceptance. Um, if repentance is also part of accepting, if, if part of repentance could be accepting what is actually happening in one's life now, um, and even being thankful for the ways that perhaps we have, um, for some of the choices we've made in the past that we might say, well, I wouldn't have made that choice a second time, but maybe I could learn from that one. This song makes me think that way. Stopping eating when I'm filled up How about them transparent dangling carrots How about that every elusive cuddle Terror, thank you, disillusion. 
song uh, to think about loving arms, embracing us, catching us when we fall in this one. Time after some time you pay. 
about repentance. Um, but before we do that, we're going to pass the peace in an amazed way. We get up, we get snacks, we get drinks, talk to folks maybe we haven't seen in a while or perhaps somebody we haven't met. I encourage you to robustly pass the peace um, and we will gather back in just a few moments. And tonight, because it's Ecclesia, our dialogue... There's still dialogue, but kind of the time, it's just condensed because of Ecclesia and trying to jam, streamline what we do on a Sunday night into an hour, um, but really be thinking about the framing question that Ben mentioned earlier. That those are going to be our framing questions throughout the entire season, so we hope you'll be thinking about them. Um, but I have a quick 
opening question. <laughs> because repentance, whew, lots of baggage for lots of people. Um, so in one word, just one word, popcorn style, when you hear repent, what do you think? John the Baptist. Sinners. John the Baptist getting killed. John the Baptist dying, yes. What else? Confession, guilt. Okay. Turn from. Turn from. Prayer. Prayer. Any other? When you hear repent, what do you think? Forgiveness? Is that what somebody said? Coercion. Coercion. Yeah, I think for a lot of people. Any others? Recognition of brokenness. Recognition and brokenness. All right. Well, when I hear repent these days, I don't think of altar calls, though I could because I come from East Tennessee where those are, those are a thing. Um, but I think of one of the first extended memories I have as a child when I was about four. A student of my dad's, a woman I knew as my babysitter, sat at my parents' big wooden dining room table weeping. She came from a physically abusive household and a traumatic, harsh church with all these rules and regulations of who was worthy and who wasn't. And she existed as a religion student wondering if God was worth believing in given how God had been manipulated and abused and even justified um, for her spiritual, emotional, and physical abuse she had endured throughout her life. And there she was at my parents' big wooden table, and I vividly remember my mom was, like, holding her. She was weeping, and I was four and kind of nosy, and so my dad, I, like, walked into the dining room, and my dad picked me up and sat me on his lap, and our dear, beloved friend, who was also one of her professors, was sitting beside her and looking intently in her eyes, saying, you are loved fiercely. You are a survivor. But you don't have to survive on your own anymore. We are here, wholly, fully turned toward you. And then he broke zucchini bread and poured orange juice and gave it to her, saying, take and eat. This is the love of God for you. Take and eat all of it. Nothing will ever change that. Sarah Miles once said, Repentance requires paying attention to others and learning to love, even a little bit, what God loves so much. The whole screwed up world, this holy city, the people God created to be God's own. Would someone read the text for us tonight, but just verses 12 through 17? Anybody? Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the lake in the territory of Zebulun and so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. 
people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has gone. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come to you. Thanks, Ebs. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This proclamation by Christ after the inaugural events of his baptism and his temptation begins the launch of Jesus' public ministry. And it is a powerful, provocative, key understanding to Jesus' life and our understanding as a people captivated by the gospel in all seasons, but especially during Lent, right, when we're told to repent. And yet for too long, our American Protestant heritage, I think, has betrayed us. I get always a little nervous to talk about American religious life with a PhD, Brandon Bain. Um, But I think I have this right, right? So it's betrayed us because it has prevented us from hearing repent in the context in which Jesus proclaimed those words. We can thank Jonathan Edwards. James wanted me to clarify, not Senator John Edwards though he probably could have used some repentance at some point. But Jonathan Edwards, as in revivalist, great awakening, 18th century preacher Jonathan Edwards, in his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And from that moment, now, some three centuries later, most of us still envision an old angry white guy standing up in some towering pulpit, pointing at us and yelling in Jesus' name to repent. And all too often we've been lured into a narrative that tells us we are unworthy, unholy, subhuman even. And it's this kind of narrative, a turn or burn mentality that seeks to literally scare God into our lives. It's the kind of narrative that becomes an incubator for 20-minute altar calls, public shaming, scarlet letters, and the big C church losing its ability to be a moral compass in the world. But I want to hear from you who or what first made repentance uncomfortable, even terrifying for you. in a very scary way. Who else? What made repentance uncomfortable or even terrifying for you, if it is? It's, I mean, if you all have had shared terrifying repentance experiences, <laughs> share on, you know. Yeah, you know, I, I worked at a Christian camp. I lived in three 
similar to last time, I'm very aware of how they measure repentance, per se, like with the nightly talks that the, the preacher of the week that was there did. And so they measured by the number of people that came up for the altar call. And to hear them talking about that, how increased numbers, what songs they should play, and other things that just really unheard. So repentance became something like repentance is calculated act almost anybody else um yeah i was in sixth grade sunday school <coughs> right before a lot of us were on to turn 12 my sunday school teacher said that 12 was the age you were old enough to go to hell no way that's traumatic <laughs> That's memorable. Yeah. And also all of our um, unsaved friends of different religions or no religion in school were about to be able to go to hell. And so I did do the people's thing too, even though Neil's not here. When Neil was about that age, he was in a like turn and burn play. Oh wow. And he didn't confess his sins or something in the play and he got dragged off the stage into hell. When he was 11 or so, like in front of those multi-thousand person audience. That would be a formative, traumatic experience. So we also have some couple of repentance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, repentance baggage, understandably. Anyone else? We have like one more. I'll share. Um, so, I guess for me it was more like a gradual, like, realization that the community that I was in, um, you know, myself included, but we had this kind of culture that repentance was about personal holiness, mm-hmm. but it wasn't about restored relationships. Mm-hmm. And so repentance was used as a weapon to um, get people to correspond to a particular doctrine instead of to heal relationships. And one more thing that I'll say is that um, Jesus proclaimed, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come here, but I guess in my experience it's always been hell mm-hmm. upon us. Yeah. So run away from hell. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I really started experiencing God's power and, that I even knew that it was possible for this message of Jesus. To be about and like life and life to the full thanks so much so I want us to think tonight and over these next 40 days together that Jesus did not mean when he was starting off his public ministry for repentance to be such a dirty uncomfortable icky manipulative word and understanding but rather a word of hope and opportunity what both the Hebrew and Greek words really get at. That does not picture sorrow or remorse, but a turning toward. When Jesus says repent, think of it like him saying reshape, reorient, recalibrate, reframe, return to the loving spirit that's ever-present and ever-active in you, in community, and in the world. Or as Frederick Buechner puts it, to repent is to come to your senses. It is not so much something you do 
as something that happens. True repentance spends less time looking at the past and saying, I'm sorry, than to the future and saying, wow. Now hear me say that I think there's something to sorry. I do. I especially think corporate reparations, confession, and sorrow must be more fully embodied realities given that so many within the church have perpetuated unjust system after system, be it with race, gender, sexuality, or socioeconomic realities. And we do it because of the comfort found within our privileged positions. But I also think we as a church too often have understood repentance as, oh shit, we really messed up and we might be going to hell, and we say sorry from an individual perspective, we forget that repentance is not just about sorry. It's about turning toward, a turning toward one another and God. And it's in that turning, I think we're often surprised at what we find. Because what we find is Jesus saying, look, God is present right here, right now. The kingdom of God is at hand. So stop paying attention to the things that distract you and start paying attention to the things that make you aware of God's presence and live into that reality. And sometimes that reality manifests in corporate confession, lament, and I'm sorry. But other times it may manifest when we're moved to tears by our ever-present God, living the harsh realities of systemic injustice with the oppressed in such a way that it moves us to tears because we realize our complacency and whiteness and in capitalism. It may come in a relationship with someone that we dare not befriend and would rather ghost, but realize we should invite them into our lives. Other times, the face of a smiling, hope-filled child might hold repentance for us. Well, even sometimes, it may come in cultivating relationship and community around a simple meal at a shared table. And this reality of repentance, if you really look at the text, is not an ultimatum. It is an invitation to turn toward one another and God. It is not about guilt. It is about the amendment of life and new beginnings. And when I think of new beginnings, I have the image of my dad's student burned into my memory and how in that space, around that table, repentance became ever-present to my babysitter. The turning toward wholeness and love that came in a few people, breaking bread and pouring wine, zucchini bread and orange juice, because that's what they had, is a memory. It's an embodiment I hope I never forget. And it's one that I hope propels me forward to be open to how a reframing of repentance can really be the inbreaking kingdom of God, a new beginning. And repentance is an inbreaking of the kingdom in the here and now. For Jesus does not threaten us with eternal damnation about a God coming to set right what's wrong. Jesus is not promising to launch a priv- privileged few into the cosmic, right, higher up in heavens. Nor is he threatening to condemn the heathens to a fiery pit. Instead, Jesus invites every hearer 
into the present reality. God is now, and God is love. And God offers all of us the chance to experience love in the present moment more fully. Barbara Brown Taylor once noted, what the cross teaches us is that God's power is not the power to force human choices and end human pain. It is instead the power to pick up the shattered pieces and make something holy out of them, not from a distance, but right close up. So maybe, just maybe, this Lenten season, as we rediscover repentance over the next 40 days, as we individually and collectively respond to the invitation to reshape our lives, reorient our priorities, recalibrate our sense of empathy, return our focus to one another, all others, and reframe our actions and positions even within systemic injustice in which we find ourselves, maybe, just maybe, we will recognize that God is right beside us, picking up shattered pieces, broken promises, failed dreams, centuries of oppression, and all the baggage and trauma we individually and collectively share around this notion of repentance, and slowly but surely turning toward us as we turn toward God, inviting us to hear ever new this Lenten season, Jesus the Christ proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So that's what we're going to do this Lent. Reclaim, reorient, reframe, reshape repentance for our lives, for this community, for our world. To really try to take repentance back from traumatic experiences we probably each could name and get to the heart of Jesus' public ministry, that God is here and God is love, and we are invited to turn toward one another. So I hope you'll come back as we talk about repentance. Um, One of my friends was like, wow, y'all are bold at Emmaus Way talking about repentance. Um, But yeah, come back and join us. We're going to do a lot of dialogue um, about what this means for us and for our lives. But I'll invite Mark and Chessa up to lead us in confession and absolution. As I was trying to think about this sort of new framing of understanding repentance, or at least trying to reorient myself towards um, perhaps a new vision of what repentance can be, um, I was thinking about how maybe like repentance is kind of like an opening of oneself uh, to God and an opening of oneself to the universe uh, to, to experience maybe like what we were actually meant to be um, to maybe try to see the world in the way that it was meant to be 
which I think takes a certain amount of courage uh, to do. So I, I, this song came to mind and the next one uh, because they both have born in the title. And I was thinking how, what if we were in fact born to experience something different uh, than it seems like we experience uh, in this world? So both of these songs are both confessional and absolutional. Is that a word? It's a word now. Uh, so I hope that, that both of these will bring some illumination.
this song, we will ask you if you'd like to join us at the table. We uh, celebrate an open table at Emmaus Way. That means that everybody is welcome. It doesn't matter uh, what you believe, where you come from, whether you're uh, gay or straight or rich or poor. Come to our table. Eat and drink with us. We serve one another. We don't have um, one person that's standing up there. We serve one another bread and wine or juice or gluten-free crackers. We have most iterations of things uh, to imbibe upon. But when we feed each other and we uh, give wine or juice to each other, we typically say the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Uh, Or if you prefer, you can say the love of God for you, the peace of Christ for you. But please join us after this. We'll move from there. I will have we'll move from there into our meeting afterwards. Uh, but please join us at the table after this. This is born to be loved. You weren't born to live 
Thank you for being with us tonight. Please join us at the table.